0: welcome Boo from scottsdale arizona <laughs> <laughs> pez you're spiritually sick pez um Boo garcia grateful member of alcoholics anonymous um i want to thank my friend pez for asking me uh there's not one day that go by that we don't talk smack to each other i love that guy and uh, i love you guys you know um I just came from Scottsdale this morning. I left early and I thought I was gonna come early enough to you know, do what I had to do and then um, you know, um, and speak. But uh, what happened for me was I got really tired. I didn't sleep good last night. I was in nine, it took me nine hours to get here. It was bumper to bumper from almost Goodyear, Arizona to, to uh, over here. And um, I ended up just getting a hotel in Long Beach um, because I was tired um, instead of going to my sister. So I feel like just like the good old days. You know, I grew up in San Pedro, which is a bridge that divides San Pedro and Long Beach. You know, and um, sometimes I mention the girl who gets shot in in my uh, story, and um, and um, in the big book it says there may be some wrongs that you can never fully right. You know, but we don't worry if we can honestly say to ourselves, uh, we would write them if we could. And, and you know, um, I just you know throwing that out to spirit, I, I want that girl to know. There's not one day that goes by that I don't take life for granted. And, I, and I just try to be a better person each day and help others, you know, and, um, you know, and I'm just grateful today. And, uh, um, my sobriety is November 14, 2009. I just came up on 11 years and, uh, um, you know, I have a sponsor and, uh, and I go to meetings, I go to meetings. I don't, I don't abuse recovery, but I, I go to enough. I found balance in my life, you know, and, uh, I love in the doctor's opinion, uh, Dr. Uh, Silkward describes um, uh, Hank P, um, and he calls him from a, tr- describing him as from a trembling, dis- despairing, nervous wreck, uh, had emerged a man brimming with self-reliance and contentment, and, and that's me today. You know, when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was I was, um, I was a nervous wreck. I was living with that terrible sense of impending calamity, or, or I felt that death around the corner that Tupac Shakur would rap about and I was scared I needed help and I was worried like my life was my life what's going to happen with my life if I quit drinking because all my friends all my relationships are are, are strong with uh, alcohol in the in the mix you know and what's going to happen if I stop drinking my life's going to be over how am I going to live life without alcohol you know you know and uh, I couldn't live with it and I couldn't live without it I was you know it went from be- being a luxury to a necessity like the book talks about you know and um I was just scared. I was confused and um, I needed help, you know, and uh, I'll get into that to that later. You know, um, I, was, I, ra- I was raised in San Pedro. A lot of people, uh, the collective ego around there calls it the ghetto by the sea. Um, the way I was raised, I used to say, does not make me an alcoholic, but I, I think there's a key component there that uh, creates the perfect storm that we call alcoholism. And, you uh, know, um, I'll share about that later, but my parents were both gang members. Um, my dad uh, was shot five five times in two different occasions. He was a scary guy. He was stabbed in the face. He had a teardrop and he was all tatted up, which means he couldn't get a job. And He was in and out of prison back in those days, you know, and uh, my mom was a very pretty uh, lady who uh, had me at a very young age. And, I, and when I started going into the inventory, I realized that I was always afraid of her leaving us. I had all these abandonment issues and so on and so on, you know, and, uh, but uh, my house was the party place. Everyone was drinking there, smoking uh, some uh, stuff with a with the feather attached to it. And I remember they would be smoking that stuff and uh, playing music. And I thought that was life from an early on, from an early age. That's what I thought life was all about. You know, I remember certain men will walk into our house and the, uh, the energy changed. And they had this energy that uh, was attractive. Like, I want to be like that guy when I get older. People respected him, you know. And um, uh, I would be the type of kid that would go to the school playground just to get away from the house. Because I didn't know this, but I hated my mother and father, you know. Um, And uh, I would run to the school playground and play uh, sports, you know. And Bill Wilson, in uh, his letters with uh, Father Ed Dowling, he says... I always felt the least of God's creatures, my perverse heart. So I had to be the first at everything. And, and that's what I had to do. You tell me to play basketball, you're picking me first. Tell me to play football, I'm the star quarterback or receiver. You tell me to play uh, uh, dodgeball, I'm the best kid playing dodgeball. You tell me to play baseball, I'm hitting a home run left-handed. You know, and that's, you know, it just, I needed to be the best because I needed your approval because deep down inside at a very early age, I felt less than, you know, and I didn't see that stuff until I got into the fourth step. You know um I remember waking up in the middle of the night and there's I would peek through that hallway door and there's my family playing those playing that music you know uh, really loud um I would go into my um and I, you know I just look at them having a good time and I thought that was life I would go use the restroom and there's our family portrait on the countertop with some white lines as that song white lines is playing really loud you know and uh I'd wake up in the middle I mean early in the morning and there's some people still partying in our house you know people passed out you know um I would play with the beer bottles and the beer cans. I remember I took my first swig when I was around eight years old. And what happened for me when I first took that swig is I spit it out and I couldn't comprehend how these people drink this crap. Yuck. You know, and it was probably a, 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 a cigarette, butt in there too, you know, you know, I didn't know, but uh, I'd play outside with the regular, the kids around the, uh, I say regular, cause I always felt different. I would play outside with the kids from the, uh, the neighborhood and, Something's always happening in my household. It seemed like in my little mind, you know, I would see my father's friends come outside from our household arguing and, um, next, you know, someone's getting stabbed, you know, and right in front of us, you know, the ambulance come to revive my dad cause he's butt naked in the bathtub. My dad was a heroin addict. My mom did crystal meth and they drank a lot and they were alcoholics. At least that's what I, I believe from looking at playing everything back in my mind, you know, and, um, uh, so, you know, I always wanted, I hated my mother and father and anything I would do, it seemed like my dad would take me to that bedroom, make me get into my boxer underwear. And if I'm not in my boxer underwear, he's hitting me in the chest um, until I get into my boxer underwear and he's whipping me with that vacuum cord. So when I get up, when I, in my little mind, I remember thinking at a young age, when I get older, I'm going to kill this dude. I'm going to kill this guy. You know, and uh, I meant that, you know, and my, every, every time my dad's in and out of prison, guess what? My mom's sleeping with another, another man. And I didn't know how much that affected me until I got into that writing and the fourth step. You know, um, around seventh grade comes, my mom has a talk with me and my sisters, my two sisters, and uh, she said, uh, your dad left us. I remember at, at, just like Bill Wilson, I-, I took the blame, you know, um, if I would have been just a better son, more lovable, et cetera, et cetera, whatever was playing in that tape, in my mind, that little voice in the head that became really loud at a young age. Um, you know, uh, he would have stayed with us. And it's funny because as much as I hated my mother and father, I end up living that same lifestyle. I put a friend request in, not on Facebook, but in, in, the, in the neighborhood. And next you know, I get surrounded by 10 guys and I get jumped in to a gang. Now I joined this collective ego. You know, seventh or eighth grade comes and uh, there's a, a party in the summertime. It was a house party and uh, we, we get to this house party and they're playing that same music, different, little similar music, uh, just as loud. And uh, they're pumping up this cake and they have these red cups and they're filling them up. And I go there. And I remember telling myself, there's that nasty stuff my mom and dad drinks. You will drink, you know. And uh, everyone's getting a cup and everyone, it, one comes past to me. And next, you know, I, I, I take a sip because I don't want to be uh, looked at as a punk or a coward. So I, I just guzzled it. I got another one. I guzzled it. I don't remember. I just remember guzzling them. You know, and um, I had a black, I blacked out that one, that same day, the ne- that same night I blacked out. The first time ever drinking, I blacked out. But I experienced something Carl Jung tells Bill Wilson, and he describes it as "spiritus contra spiritum," which means spirit against spirit. The spirituality that was already developing within my little mind, um, I had a solution for it, which was alcohol. Because Carl Jung describes alcohol in Latin means "spiritos," which means uh, it has the same meaning for the highest religious or spiritual experience. It carries the same meaning with the most depraving poison which is alcohol, alcohol and Latin spirits. So I had a solution. You know, I got that sense of ease and comfort. And for the first time I found a solution. My mind, that experience was so strong for me, my mind and my body recorded that experience. Now it it told me I had a solution for, for my problems. That slot machine mind slowed down. He's still a no, you know. I am God, I experienced that with alcohol. At least that's what happened for me. You know, and what, what, what I didn't, uh, you know, pimples didn't fall off my face, I didn't get taller, all that stuff. But what happened for me is I stopped hating my parents. As a matter of fact, don't you know who they are? Using them to have respect, you know? Um, I had a shift in perception, you know, and uh, I didn't become an everyday drinker from that point on, but I, every time I could get we can get our hands on alcohol you know, we, we, we drank, we ditched school. I found myself ditching school all the time. Just I only went to school just to, uh, gather up a ditching party. We'd always have liquor. We knew the local bums would do beer runs. I love going into a, a store and stocking up him with all my, whatever I can carry. And I run right out and we would have one guy in the in, right by the door, punching the owner. If he comes chasing us. I remember one time I did a beer run on, on my bike and I took, a, I had like a 24 pack and a bottle with me and I jump on my bike and then the chain fell off. And then, it, it did a turn and it, it hit my shin. I ended up carrying the bike and the, and the beer and I took off the alcohol and I took off. But that was life for me. It was fun, you know? And I didn't know as a man thinketh in his mind. So is he. And by this time, this gangster rap comes out. they are talking about drive-bys, drinking gin and juice, smoking Indoor. And guess what? We're doing that stuff. You know, and I, I start to experience stuff that I, I don't know how to cope with. Like my friend's getting murdered. Now we're going to retaliate. And I don't want to do it, but I'm afraid of looking like a punk or a chump. You know, and I have to be this tough guy that my, da- my, my dad uh, molded me into portraying to be. You know, he would tell people I'm going to be the toughest gang member in San Pedro. So I started doing this stuff, and, and, and I've started leaning more towards alcohol because I don't know how to cope with these feelings, you know. And, um, you know, um, I end up getting serious with the girl, and I leave her for her cousin, and I thought that was a joke. You know, I can't see how I, I smash people's hearts. I don't can't see the tornado early on. Because I'm still a victim, and, uh, and, and I'm living in a delusion. Um, and uh, for me, uh, what happens is, you know, I can have, I can say I love my family all I want, but you guys taught me that my actions are my true belongings. So I look back at my actions. I'm like, damn, I didn't even know how to love them because I didn't even know how to love myself. You know, uh, I would have a home cooked meal at home, um, beautiful daughters watching TV. <laughs> And uh, um, I'm jumping out the window because I don't want to hear her, you know what, at me because she doesn't appreciate me. And I'm going to the bar, you know, and uh, I'm drinking in his last call. You know, next, you know, uh, we meet these girls. Um, we go outside after hours. We have a game plan. We know a place in Long Beach where they sell liquor after hours. And uh, we end up going, getting in our cars. The girls want to go with us. And we start. We start to take off. But right before we get in the cars, that girl goes, wait, aren't you boo-boo married to so-and-so? And go, oh, wrong guy. Because if I would have told her the truth, there goes our party. You know, and uh, some people say around here, where I'm, a, I'm a liar, cheater, and a thief. And I find that uh, very truthful from my, from my experience of who I used to be without living on a spiritual basis. You know, and I, we go to this liquor store, we, we get in there and we stock up like there's no tomorrow. You know, we plan on going to the cliffs in San Pedro and have an after party you know and uh it's funny because as we start put the the liquor in our trunk there's these guys playing that gangster rap and some of them started to say stuff to me and that don't you know who i am kicks in the big ego right the big person i need to protect this persona that i'm portraying you know and i start walking towards these guys and my buddy grabbed me on my shoulder and says you know what we don't have a gun we're in a different neighborhood we got these females and this liquor let's get the hell out of here and i says you're right get in the cars and and uh Uh, My buddy sitting uh, passenger ends up switching seats with that girl that I lied to. She gets out of the girl's car and he goes with them and she comes with us. And then we take off and we're at that red light. Well, as we're at that red light, someone throws rocks or bricks at us. And then don't you know who I am kicks in. And by this time, I don't know how to pause, pray, call my sponsor, talk to someone, turn my thoughts to someone I can help. I just know someone I can hurt. Like, don't you know who I am? And I walk towards these dudes and as tough as I thought I was, these guys pull out guns. And then I start running back towards the, the cars, you know, and uh, they start shooting and I see bullets flying and that girl that I like to get shot right in the head and dies on my friend's lap. So when I first read that you're selfish and self-centered, I started crying, you know, and this happened right around the corner from where I'm at today, you know, and uh, I don't know what happened. I ended up went on the, I went on the wagon for keeps like Bill story and, uh, and, uh, full of broken promises you know a couple days later I'm drinking again I said all the right things for my girl to get back at with me and uh I end up I'm off and running and within a couple of days I didn't know I was in the grips of a progressive illness you know my dad comes back in my life and wants to try to talk to me and be a father and I pretend I didn't want him around but deep down inside I knew I wanted him and he's bugging me to hang out with me bugging me to do this and that and one day he comes to my house and um and he's preaching at me. He found his way through church and, uh, he was sober for a couple of years, clean and sober. And, uh, my father, uh, he, um, came to my house one day and he says, can you take me to the emergency room? Because I don't feel good. And I come to realize that all that party caught up to him, you know, and, uh, uh, we went to the emergency room. He needed to get some, um, uh, well, we waited for several hours, first of all. And, uh, uh, you know, and during that several hours we're waiting in in, in the hospital in Long Beach, my, my father, uh, laid out his whole life with me and he apologized for this, apologized for that, explained this, explained that. And at the time I wasn't ready to hear all that. I didn't understand what he was trying to do until I shared about that in a meeting when I was new. And a lady walks up to me and whispered in my ear, that's your dad's way. That was your dad's way of making amends with you. And then I just got like some freedom, like, you know, from that, right. When she said that, you know, and, uh, you know, my dad laid out his life, explained his whole life, why he did this, why he did that, why he ended up doing that, you know, and uh, I couldn't hear it at the time. until I came to AA, you know, and it became honest, you know, um, but, um, you know, uh, I don't remember, uh, I just remember my dad saying, uh, um, I mean, I just, fe- I felt that death, you know, around my father and I called my sister that night. I said, you might want to spend time with dad because, um, because, uh, I don't think he's going to be here much longer, you know? And, uh, Sunday comes, my dad's knocking on the door and he, and he, um, wants to hang out with me. He just wants me to go to church with them. And I just got home from partying all night. you know, I'm, I'm still loaded. It, it, my dad's knocking around eight o'clock in the morning. I just got home around six in the morning. I, I'm loaded still. And I said, dad, come back after uh, church and then I'll hang out with you. What happened was my dad comes back right after church. I was hoping he wouldn't, but he comes back knocking on the door. The, the day before my uncle was my uncle who got out of prison, uh, was trying, we're going to fly a remote control airplane by the cliffs in San Pedro. And he was trying to stay out of trouble. And, um, I remember my, um, him, uh, uh, just telling me the day before. So I called him up and said, we're going to meet him over there. And, uh, um, so we met him over there. He was there already when we got there, beat us to the punch. And then, um, uh, within 10 minutes of being there, that airplane gets stuck on the cliffs and we could see it and we look, we're looking over the cliffs and we're debating on getting it. And, uh, we decided not to, but, as we decided not to, my dad starts walking a little bit lower, going down the cliff. And next, you know, I see my dad sliding down the cliff. I seen a, a, a bunch of dust and I couldn't see him anymore. So I ran about a mile away and I ran down these stairs and I run to the rocks. And there's my dad compressed against the rocks. And I don't know if I blamed a God or anything like that because I didn't really grow up in a religious family. Um, but um, I, I just know I didn't, I didn't know how to uh, deal with that. I didn't know how to uh, cope with that stuff. So I just drank more and more by this time. Um, you know, I remember I couldn't even cry in his funeral. Um, um, I, I numb myself up and I just I was, my drinking escalated even more. Um, I, I had so much anger. I was a real, I became a real violent drunk and I, I like to hurt other gang members. Um, and, um, and I had a lot of guys end up wanting to kill me at the very end, you know, um, my drinking progressed. I got to a point where my family is gone now. And, uh, I uh, and I'm like, yes, I, I'm at, I'm at the bars every night. And I, I'm like that guy from tears, that oldie tears of a clown making everyone laugh, but deep down inside, I'm dying. I ended up becoming homeless to make a long story short. Um, I become homeless and uh, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, like David B story, uh, in the, in the big book, uh, the co-founder of uh, Canada and Alcoholics Anonymous. But, um, yeah, I, I couldn't even look at myself. Whenever I was sober, I, I had to continue to drink, and I'd be sitting there drinking, playing that Jay Z song, uh, "Song Cry," and I'd play that over and over, getting drunk. And I'll go to the bars, and I get in fights, and I act like a complete idiot, flipping over cars. You know, coming home with my, my car full of bullets, and just you know, um, waking up in the hospital because I, I was in a blackout, going to a different neighborhood, and I got beat with the butt of a rifle. It was just all kinds of stuff going on, and I just wanted to die, you know. I remember saying, if there's an F in God, help me or take me at the very end. You know, I blacked out my last night of drinking. I woke up with that terrible sense of impending calamity one more time. You know, those hideous four horsemen chasing, running from them, you know, with that, uh, you know, um, I just felt doomed, uh, hopeless, and I needed help, you know. And and there's that, my greatest prayer, if there's an F in God, help me or take me already, you know, and I didn't really know everything was already coming into play, you know, my buddy found out I was homeless three three months before I got sober, and he let me stay in his apartment, and two got out of a rehab he was in in uh, Palm Springs, and uh, he gets out the night, the day before, and uh, that day, November 14, 2009, I woke up into a different state of consciousness, I had an awakening there, you know, um, Eckhart Tolle says, at the beginning of all addiction is pain, and at the end of all addiction is pain, and Bill Wilson says, pain is the touchstone of spiritual progress, you know, and I woke up that day awakening from the dream of thought and i knew i needed help you know um and i asked for help and my buddy the book says what well, seemed to be a flimsy turned out to be the loving and powerful hand of god and, and uh, my buddy reached out his hand and took me to my first meeting i didn't know what i had to do but he said all you have to do is listen you know i don't think i heard the speaker that night i heard charlie brown's teacher won't won, 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 won. but i do remember holding everyone's hand for the first time feeling safe in a very long time you know and i started going to another meeting another meeting my buddy was out of out for, uh, um, I don't know, he wasn't he was out, he wasn't out on leave for like three months and we was just doing the deal. I was following them. I always say one of the greatest agents for change is examples. And I had a lot of key examples in my life, people that were active members of Alcoholics Anonymous not just tourists. You know, they didn't come and sit on the a seat, they, can't, they were active. And I see my friend Javier two, three days in sobriety, see my friend Javier who grew up in the same neighborhood, was known and well respected on the streets for all the wrong reasons. Um, and, and this guy's laughing and giggling, eating cookies. And I remember thinking in my newcomer mind, what's wrong with them? Did he snitch on somebody become a punk? Because he's laughing and giggling, and eating cookies and Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and um, he was known to use a gun. And uh, I didn't know I wanted what he had. And I started following him. He had meetings. I mean, he had uh, um, commitments at all these meetings and I was going to meetings with them. Would have he pick me up the meeting before the meeting? We'll get to the meeting and they'll take me home the meeting after the meeting you know and um man it, it was um, great example 30 days in i get a sponsor because they kept telling me to get a sponsor i wanted to wait and see if i really want to do this thing i got a sponsor and a, a guy started giving me all these directions read this book cover to cover and i told him there's a problem i don't know how to read he goes well just read whatever you can and we'll when we get in if you're willing to read the book cover to cover then you're willing to do what it takes to do the steps. And I'll help you understand this book. Just try to read it cover to cover. You don't have to understand it. Just show me that willingness. I did it. Expected a plaque like I graduated from a university or something. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, um, we started getting into the steps. And that's where everything started to change. You know, for me, the spiritual malady is being trapped in this thinking, feeling, feeling, thinking uh, loop. And then I conditioned myself unconsciously to think, feel, Feel, think, feel, drink, and I'm stuck in this loop, and I don't know how to get rid of that, get rid of this thinking, feeling, feeling, drinking loop that I'm stuck in. You know, and um, for me, the spiritual malady is the misuse of the mind. You know, um, just uh, the Buddha says just like a candle cannot be lit without fire, man can't live without a spiritual life, and I truly believe that. How true is that for the alcoholic? You know, I like to say, you know, and um. And then he showed me that, talked, showed me, had me write my experiences with the, with, with the books, the information in the book about the, uh, you know, mental obsession, you know. And um, and then uh, with the phenomenon of craving, I love what Johnny always says, man takes drink, drink takes drink, drink takes man. You know, and that's my experience. I'm often running like Forrest Gump and I don't know how to stop, you know. Um, I have a mind and body that always take me to the first drink. You know, and I may not say that exactly in the book with the body, but um, when I when my my emotions become uh, start to think for my mind that the same thoughts that created the emotion um, now controls my thoughts, um, I'm trapped in that thinking, feeling loop, you know, and. um, And if I don't learn how to think greater than how I feel, my life will always be unmanageable. You know, that's why that willingness, honesty and open mindedness are the key was the key for me. Because I became willing, honest, and open-minded to take someone else's direction. Because Albert Einstein says you can't solve your problems on the same level of consciousness that continues to create the problem. So I surrender. I do an unconscious surrender like Dr. Thiebaud talks about with a sponsor, with the fellowship. You know, and, and along as I start to go through the steps with uh, the divine, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, I knew I was powerless. I was hopeless. But I'm not helpless, you know, and I get into step two and I I heard something that I never heard before, a God of your own understanding. Why don't you choose your own conception of God like that you told Bill Wilson? And that opened the door to the God word, you know, and some guys that have um, problems with the God word, I say, think of God as the highest potential within yourself. You know, the big book says we found the great reality deep down within us to the last analysis it is only there that he may be found, you know, and, um, I, uh, you know, the big book says in, in step two, when you saw other people solve their problems with a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, you had to quit down the power of God. Your ideas didn't work, in the, but the God idea did. And i seen it working in my friend Javier. i seen it working in others because I identified with what they were saying, with the way they were and who they are now. I, I got to see that working in them, you know. And so I remember thinking to myself, what's the worst I can do with this God thing? Um, get sober, make my li- get my life back together. Even better than before, you know, I had hope in step two, you know, and I like that the acronym for hope help other people evolve. And that's exactly what you guys taught me, help me do, you know, In, in uh, step three, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as as I understand him, you know, and for me, step two, step three is all about, uh, you know, become willing to live on a spiritual basis, you know, become willing to uh, no longer identify with those egoic patterns that create suffering for myself and others. You know, and, and I try to be more loving and kind versus, um, versus full of hate and, and, and uh, chaos. You know, and, uh, you know, so I say this prayer in step three, and I, I got to see how I play God. The book says, first of all, I have to quit blaming God. My sponsor had me do some writing with that actor trying to run the whole show. My experience is my own experiences of being the actor trying to control the whole show in sobriety and out before sobriety. You know how I'm so egotistical. Trying to control everybody. I want you guys to behave a certain way, but I'm incapable of being that way. You know, and so when it says, first of all, I have to quit playing God. It didn't work. I got to see it with my experience. You know, there was an awakening right there. You know, um, I said that prayer and I wrote my own little prayer and I launched right into action because prayer without uh, action is not a real prayer, my sponsor said. Got into that fourth step, like it says, and it got down to the causes and conditions. It's funny because in the first few columns, two, three columns, I'm writing with the lens that I'm, I'm resentful with, you know, right, resentful, that, that, uh, that sees through uh, it's through the lens of the ego, right, so I, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking through that, and when I get to the third to the fourth column, I'm starting to question the lens that I'm looking through, you know, be pre- prepared to look at things from an entirely different angle, the book says, you know, I always thought I was a fearless dude, but I start to see how I'm a scared little boy, you know, you know, and how I put this persona to hide behind that, how and why of it, where am I threatening her? You know, why, and not just where, uh, why? But why? You know, I started going underneath, underneath, underneath. I never done that before. I never questioned my perceptions. I never questioned if I was full of, if I had fear, how and why of it. You know, I, I never uh, looked at my 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 life like that. And uh, and I started to see that. You know, when I started to know who I was and who I'm not, I started to understand others you know, they like myself were spiritually sick too. I start, I call it a prayer of compassion. I started to have compassion because I started having understanding of myself, how uh, all these resentments and how they started to uh, form and warp my thinking and my perception. And if, if my belief system creates my perception, my perception creates my experience. And this is why I'm living in the bedevilments. It's my state of being when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, in a, I get into that fear inventory, and, and it comes down to be, uh, being afraid of being alone. Chuck C. talks about conscious separation is the problem. Conscious unity is the answer. You know, And, and, the, and the, Dr. Paul says, when we stop living the problem and begin to live in the answer, the problem goes away. And I, I, little by little, without realizing it, by following someone else's directions that's gone before me, I start to live in the solution. You know, and I, I, I do that sex inventory. I start to see how I want men to see me as, and I start to see how women uh, to treat and see me as. And, um, and I start to question my behaviors in the sex inventory, you know, and I write a new sex ideal, etc. And then I, I do, I get into the fifth step. And for the first time in my life in the fifth step, I let someone in my inner life. I let someone in my inner life, did a nine and a half hour fifth step. And I'll tell you what, um, I'm grateful that my sponsor didn't give me an hour because the book says, be prepared for a long talk. We're on a life and death errand doesn't give you a time limit. Get rid of every nick and cranny because if I don't, I may drink again. And for me to drink is to die. Bill says that stuff through experience, not just an opinion, you know, uh, through the, the experience with uh, the first AAs, you know, and um, I did that fifth step of my sponsor and I followed those directions in the big book. And I, and, I, and I, you know, pulled back my book, looking at the first five proposals, making sure I sure I did them thorough enough. that what God thinking them from the bottom of my heart and, and um, and I call my sponsor after that hour, and I think I left a couple things out, and, uh, and then we moved on. And, and one of the stories is the process of knowing who you are begins with knowing who you don't want to be anymore. And by the six, by step six, I become more willing to, to change. I don't want to be this man, this tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. You know, I want to change. I want sobriety more than anything else in life. I be, that willingness becomes amplified by the time I get to step six. Step seven, uh, I, I, I my sponsor, had me uh, pull back my uh, my list, and I humbly dropped to my knees, asking God to remove every shortcoming. You know, um, I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, "Prayer does not change." I used to think prayer changes the situation, but I come to realize prayer changes me, and I make the change. So when I pray, I'm an, I'm acknowledging my higher self or that the divine within me, and and, uh, and with a deeper understanding by going through this process one through seven. I know what to watch out for and what not to identify anymore. You know, I love that Native American uh, saying, there's two wolves inside of us, the evil one and the good one. The one you feed the most is the one that gets bigger, you know, and, uh, um, and if, if I start to have more awareness to feed this good wolf. That's more selfless. That's more loving. That's more tolerant or compassionate or understanding, you know, and uh, you know, when I walk in, they have a very small heart, which means my tolerance level, my, my love, and, a uh, um, forgiveness is very small, which means I suffer if, because of that, you know, and, uh, I get into the step eight and I become accountable in step eight. I, I call uh, step eight, uh, account, the accountable accountability step. You know, I become accountable for the wreckage I've caused And step nine, I become responsible and I take more right actions to clean up the wreckage of my past, you know, um, and then I start to experience what the book's saying about these promises or the spiritual experience Bill's trying to describe, you know, and, um, and the book, you know, for me, it became, it, it came to life for me because I took the actions to produce the fruits. You know, in step 10, I love the word ignorance because it's an extension of the word ignore. You know, the more I ignore my daily life, the more I become an ignorant person and I became a very ignorant person by not having a spiritual program. Now, I lived, I had an unconscious program versus a conscious program, you know, and, and step 10 allows me to work a conscious connection with the conscious program, you know, and, uh, and when things crop up, because they will, because I am a human, having a human experience, um, um, I have tools to use where I don't have to be a trash compactor anymore, you know, and it gives me directions to follow. And I don't have to read the book anymore because I did it so many times that I know the principles are written in my heart now, you know, and, uh, it's kind of like driving a stick shift for the first time you're, uh, looking about thinking about the clutch and the different gears and stuff like that. It feels awkward, but after a while, as time goes by and you really start to utilize these principles, it becomes automatic, you know, and I know what to do. And I act, suffer from assholeism, excuse my language, you know, um, you know, step 11, I never knew how to pray and meditate. You know, I only prayed when I was handcuffed. Someone's not moving on the floor. I want her to catch her with me, you know, and uh, those are very sufficient prayers once for someone that's selfish and self-centered, you know, and, um, you know, uh, I, I look at step 11 through the power and prayer and meditation. You know, I try to um, improve my conscious connection with God as I understand it, you know, praying only for the knowledge of divine will and the expansion of consciousness to carry that out. You know, and that's what step 11 means to me. And I have another step set set of directions to follow to catch that bad fish, like that sublime song, you know, when they do crop up, you know, an extra set of uh, extra fish net to catch those bad fish, you know, step 11. But today I, I learned how to pray only for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. And, you know, and I learned to use that in sponsorship as well. So I used to say, I only know how to sponsor the way I was taught, but uh, as I started to grow, in step 11, I started to realize that everyone's different. It's not gonna be black and white way of sponsorship. I gotta pray only for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. There may have to be some stuff changed around, even with the steps. You know, I helped a guy and I fit. How about looking at step two like this? Came to believe in a new way of living that can restore you to sanity. You know, and uh, you know, in step 12, you know, um, you know, uh, step eleven really helps me connect with step uh Utilize step 12 correctly for me. To me, the steps are like Legos. It takes one to connect it with the other, you know, and I get into step 11, I snap it into step 12, you know, and uh, I like to say there's many staircases to heaven, but I found mine through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've had a spiritual awakening from the result of these steps. And I tried to practice these principles on all, all my affairs today. You know, I love what Malcolm X says. When we remove the I and replace it with the we, that illness becomes wellness. And that's exactly what the steps do is help reduce the I. Or create a healthy eye, And the 12 traditions teach me how to live in the we. And that illness becomes wellness. The word sanity comes from the Latin word uh, sanus. Which means uh, healthy. And you put an I in front of it. And it means not healthy. So what created an unhealthy mind. Was fear, resentment, anger. Which is going against my true nature. Which is God. You know. Um, and But what connects me. What connects me to that divine spark within me. Is love. Compassion, understanding, you know, uh, deeper insight, you know, uh, continue to question my perceptions on a daily basis, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff really helped feed the the, the good wolf, you know, and uh, I'm truly grateful for that. Um, I just want to say thank you, guys, and uh, Father Ed Delling. I'll end it with this: once said, if I was ever to find heaven, it'll be running away from hell. Thank you.